Have you ever wondered why it's difficult to give your attention, energy, and take action on what matters the most to you? Or to speak up with clarity from the best part of yourself? If that's you, then you're in the right place. The follow-through formula is dedicated to providing daily inspiration for you to follow through on the real you. Hi, my name is Rick Lewis, and you have tuned in to the Follow Through Formula podcast. This is episode four, and uh, if you've been listening from the beginning, then you'll have an idea of what I'm up to here. And if you just happen to randomly click on episode four for the first time, uh, listening to any of these episodes, I'm going to give you a quick update. So um, I started this podcast on a whim four or five days ago, and I decided to jump in because I wanted to initiate a conversation about the subject of following through on what matters most. This is something that's hugely, um, I, I love talking to people about what really matters to them. And for some reason, I always feel some great stake in people doing what they really feel they're either meant to do or born to do or called to do in the moment. So the follow through formula podcast is surrounding a project I've started called Life Leap, which can be found at lifeleap.app. And this is a uh, online community space I want to create where people can come together and support each other to really talk about and face those things that they have been um, not attending to, uh, the things that are important. So even if you if you have a goal and even if it really scares you, this is a place where we could gather together as a community to support one another, to move forward and keep taking action on what matters most. So that was sort of the basis of starting the podcast was was just to have a place to unfold this conversation. So I started that four days ago, uh, intending just to record one podcast, and then it occurred to me that... If I were to do 21 podcasts in a row over 21 days, I would certainly come up against a lot of the common issues of follow through. And since this conversation is very important to me, I went ahead and I made that commitment to do 21 consecutive days of podcasting on this subject. And this is episode four. So again, my name is Rick Lewis. I'm a speaker, author, entertainer. I've been out of work since March, and I am looking to reinvent myself, find a way that I can continue to do what I love to do, which is inspire others with um, thoughts, stories, science, psychology, uh, aspects of inspiration, motivation, personal and professional development that make a difference for people. All right, so uh, there you go. I brought you up to speed, I hope, at this point. And today, what I want to do is I want to share a story. And in order for the story to make sense, I'm going to have to give you a little bit of a backstory, but I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. Um, so I'm a speaker, author, and entertainer. I've been appearing at corporate events for uh, many years, and I've performed to over 500 
associations and corporations over the, the course of my speaking career. But I have a really unique way of entering the room and presenting myself on stage. And what I do is I pose identically to the serving staff at a venue and I pretend to be a waiter during the meal portion of a gathering or event. And I pose as a server who gets more and more odd and eccentric over the course of the meal, tripping and dropping things and reaching right in front of people to pick up a plate off the table, pouring water from a height of three feet, getting down on my hands and knees to retrieve a, a, a piece of fallen silverware under the table. So I, I create this whole routine where I become more and more of this incompetent spectacle in the midst of this corporate dining atmosphere. And what happens over the course of the meal is people are looking at each other. And then when I, I walk away from the table, they're whispering, saying, did you see what he just did? How did this guy get his job and how is he keeping it? So I build this whole kind of intrigue up uh, until by the end of the meal, people are like ready to, you know, they want to have me fired or they want to take me home and give me a safe place to stay where I won't hurt myself. It's kind of, you know, people kind of get split into a couple different camps. But so this is the bit that I do as an entry point to finally getting on stage and revealing the surprise, which is I'm their speaker. But it gives me the opportunity then to talk about what do you do in challenging circumstances, when you're under stress, when things don't go as planned. So that's my gig. That's that's my bit I do or, or did do as a speaker. And um, so the story happened quite a few years ago. I was doing this waiter routine to a large room full of food service professionals. So there were four or 500 people in this ballroom of association, an association of food service professionals who um, you think food service, uh, you would be right in guessing that they are highly sensitive to proper food protocol. So everything about how food is served and delivered and prepared uh, is something they care about. So when I showed up at this event and started doing my waiter bit for all these folks, I was immediately getting more dirty looks than there were napkins in that hotel. People's head were snapping in my direction for not only was I, you know, just like putting the fork on the wrong side of the plate, that would have been enough to, to raise their umbrage. But, you know, I was doing all of this totally incompetent, clumsy stuff that I usually do as a waiter. And boy, was it ever getting a reaction out of these people. So I was, I, myself, I was having a ton of fun just watching everybody squirm and try and fig, to, trying to figure out how they should address this. And I'm moving table to table in the room, so everybody in the room gets an experience or many experiences of me as the waiter when I do this bit. So I'm going through the room and getting the typical responses that I'm used to eliciting from people, which is, you know, getting them off center, because that's the basis of what I'm going to deliver later as a speaker and talk about what do you do when you get thrown off center. Well, I get to the very back row of this big room of diners and I get to one table and I'm working my way around it, overfilling water glasses. And I get to the back of the table and there's a gentleman sitting there 
Uh, he has a yellow tie on, nice shirt and a yellow tie. And I'm overfilling his water glass. And instead of reacting to me with that, um, that kind of irritated look, he's just looking at me with this open expression on his face. And he's watching me fill the water glass more and more and more full until I filled it so full it forms a meniscus on the surface. And then I just say, is that enough water for you? And, and that usually just, you know, that pushes people over the edge where they just like, what? Can't you see what you're doing? You've totally overfilled my water glass. But instead of doing that, this, this gentleman was just looking at me, this open expression. And when I was done, he looked up at the name tag I was wearing because I always, I always borrow from the hotel a, a fake name badge. And the one I had that day said Malcolm on it. And he looked up. He noted the name of my name tag, and he just said, You know what, Malcolm? Thanks for taking such good care of us. I really appreciate your service. And I was like, Okay. I walked away from that table going, That was an unusual response to my ineptness. Very unusual, actually. I'm, I've become... Over the years, I've become very, very good at figuring out how to go right to the edge and, and kind of push people just just over the line. But this guy didn't take he didn't take the bait. He all he was doing was being kind to me. So I walked away from the table, went about my business. I'm working the whole room and I'm doing other bits of odd things at each table and I come back to his table again this time with a whole tray of silverware that I let intentionally tip over right near the table and all the silverware goes clattering to the floor and then I kind of get on my hands and knees and scramble around like I'm trying to pick it up it, and uh, so he's sitting there and again everyone's getting very annoyed but he just gets out of his chair I'm close by in the floor. He gets out of his chair and he puts one hand on my shoulder and he says to me, hey, relax. It's okay. Everyone gets a little nervous sometimes. Everyone has a bad day. Just relax. You're doing just fine and goes back and sits in his chair. So now here I've got this guy. I'm, I'm doing my usual, I'm delivering my usual points of escalation to get people kind of you know, off, off center. And instead of going in that direction, all he's doing is doubling down on trying to empower me. And so then at that point, my job was like, okay, I've got to, I've, I've got to do my job, which is to get this guy off center. And I keep going back to the table with more outrageous forms of odd, clumsy ineptitude and no matter what I did, the only response I got from this man was kindness, generosity, and I was on the receiving end of his commitment to make me feel like I was completely okay as a person, as a human being, and with the job that I was doing. Now, this was truly an extraordinary display, especially because, you now what happens in these ballrooms when I'm, I'm performing this waiter routine is in any industry and in group of people who are meeting together, there's a subculture narrative. 
So usually, however it is, the way people feel about things, the way they think about things, tends to kind of, you know, roll in a, a tribal tide. So everyone at his table and the surrounding tables was being dismissive with me and annoyed and irritated with my behavior. He could have easily fallen in line with everything else that was going on at his table in terms of the guest's reaction to me, but he didn't go there. He had his own commitment to how he wanted to be with me, which was empowering, kind, generous, and he stuck to it. So I walked away from my last interaction at that table feeling deeply moved by the gestures and the behavior of this man. So much so, I wanted to go back and just sit in his lap and tell him about the real me so he could actually just empower who I really am instead of this this character that I was doing. So anyway, I, I left the table and shortly thereafter, I wound up stumbling on stage and moving into my routine where first I pretend I'm going to apologize as a waiter, but then I reveal I'm the speaker. And once I reveal that fact, everyone groans and rolls their eyes. They're like, oh no, I've been totally had. But um, so I went up and I, I went through that bit of business. I told everyone I'm actually your speaker and I started delivering my keynote. And the whole time I was delivering my keynote, the man who was sitting at that back table, who I couldn't see very well because he was quite far away, but again, he just seemed to now be taking this in stride. He just had, again, this sort of open, almost curious expression as he was looking up at me, delivering my keynote. So I finished my keynote and then, you know, what usually happens at a corporate event, once I'm done and the event concludes, everybody leaves. And I was up on stage talking to a few people who came up to say hello and wanted to exchange a few words. But the ballroom slowly emptied out. And once the ballroom was empty, I started putting away my uh, props and my equipment on stage. And the ballroom was empty for maybe five or ten minutes while I was packing up my things and then I looked up at one point and I looked at the back of this large ballroom and walking in through one of the open doors was uh, the same man in the yellow tie who came into the ballroom walking slowly toward me and I, I have to admit I was a bit nervous at that point I was like oh no I probably made this gentleman feel very foolish by, by you know, uh, doing this ruse to him in the rest of the room, and now maybe he's upset about that. So I kind of, I was sort of bracing for what he had to say to me. He walked all the way across the ballroom, and he got up to the one of the table rounds that was right in front of the stage, and I stepped off the stage he pulled out a chair and turned it away from the table facing me and sat down in the chair, but hadn't said anything yet. He was just looking at me. I was like, okay, 
whatever this man wants to say to me, he deserves every bit of my attention. Who he is, the way he treated me, whatever he needs to say, I'm going to listen to, was the thought I had. So I, I pulled out a chair as well, and I put it right in front of him, and I sat down facing him. At that point, he started telling me about his daughter and his son. His daughter was 14 years old. She, two years earlier, had been diagnosed with a terminal illness. And his son was 12. So he had these two kids, the daughter with the terminal illness, and she wasn't doing well. She was bewildered, betrayed by the injustice of what was going on for her and she just didn't have any motivation to want to go on. She had medication she had to take and she didn't want to take her medication. She was really having a tough time. And so this man, as he explained, quit his job as the executive chef of a large hotel in Texas to stay home and care for her full time and to champion her and to support her to just hang in there. But the pain, the, the depth of his pain and the sadness about this situation with his daughter was really obvious. And then he said to me in uh, so many words, he said, the last two years have been the hardest two years of my entire life. I have never had more doubts about myself as a father and a person. He said, I didn't know that what you were doing tonight was an act. I thought you were a real waiter. But because of what you did, I got to see that who I am is a good person. And the tears started rolling down his cheeks onto his dress shirt and his yellow tie. And the tears started flowing down my cheeks as well as I sat there and watched this gentleman who through his kindness, his commitment to kindness to another person, me as the waiter, reflected back to him his own merit, his value as a human being, his true character. And I watched this gentleman who had just been through a very unusual corporate event, piece of theater that was enacted on him. He could have easily been very upset with me. But instead of being upset, he took the whole thing and used it for an experience of personal transformation. He was crying. 
I was crying. I've never experienced anything quite like this at a corporate event. The character of this man, and I tell this story frequently, and I'll never forget it, even though it happened quite a few years ago. The story deserves to be told, and the reason I feel it deserves to be told, and why I'm telling you this story now, is because this was an act of follow-through. Well, what do I mean by follow-through? How was this an act of follow-through? Well, to me, what follow-through is, is our ability to take action that's consistent with who we really are, which is what integrity is. When, every, when in every moment, regardless of the situation, no matter who surrounds us or what the, the peer uh, tendency is or the peer narrative, when we act in resonance with our highest ideals and values, what that's called is congruence. And this is a term that was introduced by Carl Rogers, who's a humanistic psychologist. He, he championed this work about congruence, which has to do with one's highest values and intentions being matched by one's own action. And when we fail to live up to that inner sense of, of ideal, of our inner ideal, then we suffer because we're out of alignment. So to me, this is what the essence of follow-through is. When we actually act on that which is most authentic to who we actually are, and when we follow through by taking actions that match that, regardless of what's going on in our lives, we experience... something very transformative and it transforms us because we leave the cultural narrative that surrounds excuses and reasons and circumstances all as being the culprit of why we don't follow through but when we accept that it's me it's up to me whether or not I follow through, not the external conditions, that puts us in such a powerful place to live our lives from. And the impact it has on other people when we're following through on who we really are, when we're being congruent, that impact is unmistakable. And that's what the story's about. And I know you've met people you probably know people who are more congruent than others and they have a bigger effect on your life than people who don't have so much congruence going on do. So that's the story I wanted to share with you today. And I really think it is about, it, it pertains to follow through and um, I hope there's some value in my sharing of it. And uh, that'll be it for episode four. Who knows what will come up 
for episode five. I've done my, I hope I've done my part for today. I've followed through with my commitment and I intend to stick to the schedule and uh, make it through 21 days of a follow-through formula podcast. So if you care to join me, I'd love to have your, your ears on it. I appreciate you listening all the way through. Again, my name is Rick Lewis. This has been the Follow Through Formula Podcast. Um, this The podcast is in its very early stages. It's just days into my uh, having been approved by iTunes. There's a window of time when a podcast is first introduced, as I'm told, that if it gets uh, some reviews, some positive reviews, if it gets some listens then it becomes more visible in the iTunes search engine. And because my aim is for this conversation to reach as many people as possible, I would so appreciate it if you would leave a review um, and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any and continue to listen and and leave a review. That that would very, very much help me. I'd appreciate it. All right. Well, um, Have a wonderful day, and I'll leave you with this reminder. I actually haven't mentioned this yet in this episode, but I have issued the challenge to anyone who's listening that if you have something in your life that's important to you, can you take one small action every day during the broadcast length I've committed to these 21 days? Can you take a small action every day on something that's important to you? Instead of putting it off and saying, I'll get to it tomorrow or maybe someday when I have enough time or energy or money or courage, instead of doing that, can you take one small action each day? And that way, we can do this journey together. And if you want to tell me about what you're up to or what you're taking action on, send me an email. You can send it to rick at lifeleap.app. Rick at lifeleap.app and I would love to hear about it and I promise I will reply. All right, that's good enough for today. Game on and I'll see you in episode five. Take care. Hey, thanks for being here and being a die-hard listener down to the last decibel. My vision for these conversations is that you get informed and inspired to take consistent action on the real you. If these podcasts help you to do that, I'm thrilled. And if you'd like to take that work to the next level, I invite you to join me inside the Life Leap community, where I'm creating a culture and a support network for those who want to pursue what matters most in their lives. To learn more, Just go to gamesforconfidence.com and click on the Life Leap menu item. I'd love to see you on the inside, and otherwise, I'm sure we'll meet again in another episode.